No one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. You say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you'd minister to my heart. May your word be revealed to me today in a way that I can understand it, so that I can speak it and do it and see it change my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. True freedom. This week, true freedom is knowing that one truth will change the world. One truth will change the world. Now, we started out looking at true freedom is total liberation when we started this series. And the whole, the whole ser- series so far has been based on Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And what we've learned from this is that um, what do we do with the statement that you often hear in modern day society, I'm free to be me, even if me means to sin. Many people, they say, listen, I sin because that's who I am. I sin because that's the way God made me. So, so what do we do with that? And Romans 6 verse 1 said, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? And the answer is, when I was saved, I died to weakness, but was raised to new life in power. So the thing about Jesus is when you're raised to new life in Christ, you're raised in power. You're supposed to become a powerful version of you. And we become a powerful version of ourselves because we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6 verse 5, Since we have been united with Him in His death, and we shall also be raised to life as He was, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And what I want you to realize is that you think that sin is cool. You think that sin is something that you want to do until the day that you try and stop and you realize you're trapped. You know, it's like a person who starts taking substances because they're just having a good time. It's just a bit of social whatever. It's just this, that, the next thing. Next thing they find out they're addicted, they're an addict, or or maybe they're an alcoholic or something like that. And all of a sudden they discover this is a trap. It's a prison. They're stuck. And this is not normal Christianity. Last week we looked at normal Christianity. And normal Christianity is a life where we overcome sin. Normal Christianity is a life where we see the signs and wonders of Almighty God. Normal Christianity is a life where we see the power of God, where we experience what it means to be a new creation. And so the liberation struggle for eternity has been won, and it was won by Jesus. It was won by Him. And those who are alive in Jesus are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. When you are dead to sin, your old self is a corpse. I've never seen a corpse who sins. I've never seen a dead body that sins. You know, the person can be the biggest sinner ever. The person can be the most evil person that ever lived. 
But the day they die, they never sin again. It's over. But those who are dead to sin are going to live forever. Romans 6. Romans chapter 6 verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know that we shall also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ, raised, because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Sin no longer has any power over him. We looked at the end of last week at the blood of faithfulness. You know, the world's been under a curse since Adam sinned. That's why there's death. What is the ultimate expression of the curse that's on the world? It's a funeral. There is no bigger expression of the curse that comes from sin than a funeral. And Jesus was in the Garden of, of, of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he made right what Adam did wrong in the other garden, the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was in a position whereby he despised the cup of blessing that God had given him. And he went his own way. He was unfaithful to the command of God. And it was a simple command just not to eat the fruit of one tree. And he ate that fruit. And then Jesus was faced with the will of the Father. And he did not despise the cup of the curse that was meant for us. He saw a cup there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and within that cup, the contents were the sin of the entirety of humanity that has ever existed. There's, what, over seven and a half billion people on the world today alone. Every one of their sins was in that cup. Every sin of every human being that ever lived right back the time of Adam, every sin of every human being that will live in the future, plus every sin of every person that's alive today was in that cup. It was the will of the Father that Jesus drink that cup, and he was faithful. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And because of this, the curse of poverty was exchanged for the blessing of prosperity. The curse of sickness with the blessing of health. The curse of death with the blessing of life. The curse of shame, because shame is a curse. You know, when people say to you, you should be ashamed of yourself. Shame is a curse. The curse of shame was replaced with a blessing of glory. And each one of those is replaced when we apply the blood of faithfulness. Where Jesus saw the, 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 the cup and the, the contents of that cup distressed his, his flesh to such an extent that he began to sweat blood. And when we apply that blood, our unfaithfulness exchanged for the faithfulness of Jesus. And this leads us on to what we're speaking about today. And that is that true freedom is knowing that one truth will change the world. I want you to think about a person that is dead to sin. A person who is living with a kind of faith that renders them dead to sin. Just think about that person in the world now. Think about what that person looks like in the world around them. They will make an impact. Because people around them will see something that's not normal. A person who is dead to sin will change the world around them. They will mesmerize people around them. When they're full of the Holy Spirit, people will be attracted to them. And here's the thing about us. Maybe you're feeling you're down and out. 
What is it that drags you down? I want to tell you, it's sin that drags us down. Sin drags us down because with it comes death. Sin drags us down because it is deadly. And here's the other thing. When we accepted Jesus as Lord, we became a brand new creation. We became brand spanking new. You know, many times we think about life and we want to do over. Many times we wish we could be in a place whereby, you know, we could have a choice that we, we messed up in the past and we could have it over. But in Jesus, we can become a brand new creation. We get a brand new start. The, all the old is washed away by the blood of Jesus. Everything, it is destroyed. The power of it is destroyed over our futures. And that creation is not based on what we do, but it's based on what Jesus did. It's based on the victory that, that he achieved when he overcame everything on the cross. And this is why the cross is so important. This is why the blood of Jesus is so important. This is why our lives need to revolve around the cross and around the crown that Jesus has set before us. Because we are meant to rule and reign with him for all eternity. And that's why it's time to decide that you are dead to sin. It's time to decide that it's no longer you that lives, but Christ that lives in you. In Romans 6, verse 10 and 11, it says, When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Now I want to just hone in on one word in verse 11. I want you to look at the word consider. What does that word mean? So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. You know, if you look at the dictionary, the dictionary says that to consider is to think or to deem, to be, or to regard as. In other words, you regard yourself as being dead to sin and alive to Jesus. Now, the, the Greek word is logizomai. Very weird word to have to say. And, and what this word actually means, it's to take an inventory, to Estimate. In other words, you estimate yourself dead to sin. To conclude, to esteem, to impute, to reason, to suppose, to think on the fact that you are dead to sin. And I want you to think about that. You get to the place with faith where you conclude that you are dead to sin. You estimate, when you estimate in yourself and you're estimating your future, you estimate that you are dead to sin. You suppose, in other words, it's like you just assume that you are dead to sin. It's an assumption. In other words, what you've decided is that you're dead to sin because of the cross. You've decided that you are dead to sin because of the blood of Jesus. You've decided that your faith is in Christ and it's not in yourself. You've decided it's over. It's done. 
As you listening to what I'm saying right now, I want you to understand something very, very important. You are in the position where you can decide that that is what the blood of Jesus has done for you. Now, you get to the place where your faith in Jesus is so strong that you cannot end your relationship with Christ. Your faith is so strong that your focus is on Jesus. And therefore, because your focus is on Jesus, your focus is on the fact that he has given you the power to be dead to sin. And that that part of you that wants to sin is dead. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, I say then walk by the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit means that you obey what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And that starts with you spending time with God. One of the, the mistakes that gets made in a church is what people do, they like a farmer. And the farmer takes a pig and he brings the pig to church which is the sheep pen and he puts the pig with all the lambs now the pig has been rolling in the mud and the pig has been filthy and he washes that pig and he scrubs that pig and he puts a bow on that pig maybe he even gets some wool and he sticks it to the pig and then he takes the pig and he puts the pig with the lambs. And now imagine this pig, it becomes a good pig. It's avoiding the dirt, it's avoiding the mud, it's avoiding all the rubbish that pigs eat. It goes there with the lambs, and it's eating grass like a lamb would. But now the pig is freaking out because grass just doesn't satisfy a pig. And every now and then they're walking in the field and the pig sees a, a big pool of mud over there. Maybe it's after a good night's rain. And every now and then the pig catches itself and it just glimpses at the pool of mud and it thinks, oh, how I'd love to just go send it in that pool of mud. And anyway, this farmer's looking at the pig and the pig's making so much progress, it's becoming almost like a lamb. Instead of going oink, oink, and starting to go, man, man, maybe even, you know, all of that sort of stuff, making all the right sounds, maybe even to start moving a little bit like a lamb, and then all of a sudden, one day, just when, just when it seemed that that pig was going to graduate into being a lamb that was going to become a sheep, the farmer comes out one morning and there finds that pig and it is just rolling around in the mud. It is caked with mud and it's eating all the stuff that pigs eat and uh, the farmer's shocked because the pig remains a pig. It wants to go and slide in the mud. It wants to go and eat rubbish. It wants to go oink oink because that's who it is. And so when looking at getting wool, there's only one thing that a pig is good for. And that is to become bacon. <laughs> Come on, give the Lord a big round of applause if you like bacon. Amen, I love bacon. Bacon and eggs, I love it. 
natural flesh. You cannot do anything good with your flesh. Your flesh wants to be in the mud. Your flesh wants to do what's whatever. You've got to kill it. It's got to die. And that starts by you spending time with God and you focus on your spirit. And then you get the faith to realize the struggle is complete. You're no longer a slave. But you, you know what? If you believe you're a slave to sin, you're finished. If you are conscious of your sin all the time, the sin, your, your, your sin is going to control you. You know that the book of Hebrews actually says that the blood of Jesus sprinkled on you even cleanses your conscience. In other words, your conscience is no longer about your sin. Your conscience tells you about sin to lead you to Jesus, to lead you to the place where you realize you need to be saved. You don't need God to tell you about your sin. You know about your sin. You know what you've done wrong. You know what you've messed up and what you've blown. I don't need to come and tell you about what you regret. You know, even when you defend your sin, you know it's wrong. Even when you defend, in fact, the more you defend, the more you tell the world around you that you know it's wrong. What's wrong? What? The moment you do that pose, you're telling the world, yeah, you know this is wrong. All right? Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13 says this. Do not let sin control you. So do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. In other words, if he's telling you do not give in to sinful desires, when you have a strong faith in Jesus, you actually have a choice. To give in means to give up. You cannot give up something if you don't have the power not to give up. All right. I mean, it, it's just as simple as that. Give up means you had a choice not to give up. Give up means you had a choice not to quit. You chose to quit. So he says, do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. You see, when you let your body become an instrument of evil, you start serving sin. You become a servant of sin. I want you to imagine, you're walking, you know, like those servants, maybe a butler, you know, with their hand behind their back and they've got a towel and they walk and they come and, and you, you're serving someone. When you give yourself over to sin, that's what you're doing. You're serving sin. You're saying, here, yeah, would you like a towel, you know? Could I get you anything else, sin, my master? That's actually what you're doing. And he says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, and now you have life. Now, notice, he's saying, do not give yourself to sin because you were dead, and now you are alive. Come on, say hallelujah, someone. Come on, say amen, someone. You were dead, and now you're alive. You were a corpse, and now you're a living being. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. This is talking about surrendering yourself to Almighty God. This is talking about doing what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, where you surrender your life to God. You surrender to Him. In other words, you do what Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's only when we surrender that we see the victory in our lives. Listen, when you gave your life to Jesus, yes, you hadn't surrendered your will. You gave your life to Jesus because you're selfish and you wanted to save your bacon out of hell. 
All right, or your life sucked so bad you thought this Christian thing can't be worse. That, that's why you gave your life. And now the Lord says, cool, I've saved you. Now I want you to surrender. But you've got to choose to surrender. I'm not going to force you to surrender. And when you start surrendering, you get to a place where your faith is built up in the, 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 the fact that Jesus finished the struggle on the cross. The struggle is finished. It's over. It's done. The words do not let imply that you have a choice. You have a choice. Tell the person next to you, say, you have a choice. Before you knew Christ, you were destined to sin. You had no choice. Don't come here and tell me you had a choice. You had no choice. Now you have a choice to be a slave to sin or to be a slave to Christ. And so he says, therefore choose not to let any part of you be an instrument to serve sin. I want you to think about the word evil. Some of you have heard me say this before. Evil, E-V-I-L, evil. And then you swap the letters around. In other words, you take the last letter and put it first. So you take the L at the end of evil, put it first. You take the I, which is the second last letter, you put it second. You take the V, which is the second letter of evil, you put it third. You take the, 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 the E, which is the first letter of evil, you put it last. And you get live. Evil is the opposite of live. Evil is the opposite of being alive. Evil is death. This is why Jesus died to save you. And that's why you don't want to walk in sin. That's why you want to walk in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you're crucified with Christ, that means you died. Your flesh died. The pig died. You don't share a pig and make a nice jersey. You understand what I'm saying? You kill that thing. You make bacon or pork, whatever you want to do. But now that you're alive, he's living in you. Jesus is living in you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. And when you, when you close your eyes, when you're praying in the morning, and you, you see that exchange, you ask God to fill your imagination with exchange taking place at the cross, then you use your whole body to do what is right for the glory of God because you've surrendered your will to him. And every day, if you're interested, God will show you his will for the day. He'll show you what he wants you to do. Now, why does he do this? Why does he give you this opportunity? Because God's called you to real freedom, which means you're no longer to be dominated. I want you to look at the whole world system. The world system's a fruitcake. Actually, it's a fruit salad. And I was actually just explaining it to some guys this morning. Now, a fruit salad, normally you'd add, add some orange liquid fruit, you know, orange-flavored liquid fruit, um, maybe a bit of sugar. You'd definitely add some ice cream or cream, you understand? Yo, then it's nice. But I imagine you make a fruit salad, and you leave it for three days, and there's flies all over the thing. Okay, it goes all mushy and moldy, and maybe gets a bit of an odor. When you focus on the world, you're eating that fruit salad. The world's thinking is that of a fruit salad. The world is crazy. The world is mad. The world thinks Christians are mad. No, the world is mad. Just listen to the things they say. It's ludicrous. Because the world is dominated. The world is all about manipulation. 
You know, even I've seen in the church, people often, they, they misconstrue the call to freedom. They misconstrue the call to tithe. They misconstrue the call to be faithfully married. They misconstrue the call not to, not to um, sleep around and have sex outside of marriage. They misconstrue those calls as being manipulation. Because that's all the world knows. The world doesn't know when you tell someone, someone else something that will benefit them. And that you have no skin in the game. The world doesn't know that. Because the world only knows domination. And Romans 6 verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law but under grace. I want to ask you today, are you experiencing that where sin no longer has dominion over you? Many people say pro-choice. I notice now there's two groups of people saying pro-choice. It always was the people pro-abortion were saying pro-choice. Now the people that are anti the, 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 the vaccine or anti-forcing people to take the vaccine are also pro-choice. But you know, I'm also pro-choice. <laughs> I'm pro the choice to be able to realize that sin no longer has domination over you, that you're no longer a slave, that you have a choice, that you can choose not to live in that dead state. Why? Because you're under grace. You're under grace. You're under the mercy of God. You're under the favor of God. You're under the blessing of God. The blood of Jesus has washed all that other stuff away. You are under the favor of God. And if you begin to focus on the Lord, He's going to change everything in your life. And at that point, you should be shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Because I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And a person that is under law cannot understand what it means to be under grace. How do you know if you're under law? How much resentment do you have? Every piece of resentment you have, every piece of offense that you have, shows that you're judge and jury of someone else. And guess what? Guess what that says? You're under law. And now you're just operating in an area where you believe you're the judge. I want you to think about what it means to be under grace. Because under grace deals with offense. It, 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 it deals with resentment. It deals with unforgiveness. You say, why unforgiveness? Well, I want you to think about this because... What are the things that hurt you? In life, what hurts you? But I, I, I want this to be a spiritual moment. One of the cruelest blows that a human being can ever receive is betrayal. And you know, betrayal is not from your enemies. Your enemies never betray you. The problem with betrayal is that it happens with people that were, were close to you. And, and think about betrayal. What is the most common form of betrayal? It's unfaithfulness. Now we've spoken about the blood of faithfulness. And the blood of faithfulness, there's an exchange. Your unfaithfulness for the faithfulness of Jesus. Oh, thank the Lord for that. Oh, thank God for the blood of Jesus. But you know, what about the unfaithfulness of others towards you? You know that, that, that we suffer because of those cruel blows that we've received because when people are unfaithful to us you know an argument's created against us too it's not just the person who did it a curse comes over us 
That's often why we can't shake it. That's often why it has such huge power over us. And we often hear cases where people are unfaithful to their spouse. They're unfaithful to their spouse despite the fact that on their wedding day, they promised to faithfully love each other until death separated them. Have you ever wondered what causes people to take the dagger of unfaithfulness out and plunge it into someone that they love and wound the person who they promised an everlasting love to? Understand this, it's the cunning of the enemy. The enemy of the Bible says he's going around like a roaring lion seeing who may may devour. And the enemy knows that those closest to us are the ones that cause the greatest harm to our lives. You know, it's not those that we expect to do bad stuff that hurt us. I mean, sometimes when people do things and people are upset, I'm saying, but why are you upset? Because I can't believe they did that. I said, but you know them. Why would you, why would you expect them to be something that they aren't? So when we expect things of people, you know, maybe our guard's up, but it doesn't hurt us. But when it's someone close, it's someone we didn't expect it from. It's someone that maybe our arms were around and so we're vulnerable. The enemy knows that that really wreaks havoc on our lives, really sets us back. And, 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 and what is the issue? Well, I want you to think about in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul describes the armor of God. And you see armor for all parts of the body, for the, for the feet, you know, uh, the, 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 the belt to hold your pants up, you know what I mean? The, there's a breastplate, there's, there's a helmet, there's a shield, there's a, there's a sword. There's, there's, there's armor for every part of your body except your back. Because God has placed people in our lives who are supposed to have our back. And betrayal comes when those people plunge a dagger of betrayal into our, into our back. Only those who are closest to us those in whom we've placed most of our trust can do this to us when you think about a war situation the soldiers they face the enemy and they protect each other's backs and if you know anything about war there's an utmost trust that needs to to happen between a group of soldiers utmost trust that listen I've got your back and you've got mine and, and, and that's how it is with life, with those who are closest to us. Those who are closest, our spouse, you know, our children, those, those in the church with us, you know. Maybe a partner in business. And so that's why betrayal is so devastating. That's why it's so devastating if a father leaves the mother and leaves the kids. The kids are devastated by that. And the enemy uses this to bring unforgiveness into the heart of a person. And the intention of the unforgiveness is to destroy that person's life. Listen to me. That unforgiveness will destroy you. You, you think you're getting the person back by holding that issue against them. That, that unforgiveness destroys you. It could even make you sick. And the wound of betrayal disconnects 
a person's heart from an entire family. That wound will unsettle an entire family. One family member can, can unsettle an entire family. And what happens to those who, who are in that situation who've been betrayed? They're left without direction. And I want to speak to you today. Maybe you're that person that has been left without direction. You're sitting here today. We're going to go into a few moments in a time of communion. But before that time, I want you to think about where have you been betrayed today. And today I want you really to think about that scar that you've got. Because while you've got that thing going on, understand there's a spiritual battle. And the enemy is using that thing against you. And the Lord wants to separate you from that curse. He wants to destroy that curse over your life. He wants to smash that curse to pieces. He wants to destroy that curse as if it never existed. And that's what the blood of Jesus does. I want you to think about something. How many times have you heard people say, that the image that I had of my father was completely shattered because of what they did to my mom. How many people have said, you know what, my image of God was shattered because of what my dad did to my mom. And so right now, I want you to think about that. And I want you to close your eyes and, and I want you to see Jesus standing before you. And he's holding a, a bowl with his own blood. A bowl with his own blood. I really want you to picture that now. He's saying to you, dip your hand in it. That's faith. He wants to touch you. He wants to touch you. I want you to hold your hands up to the Lord. You know, surrendering to the Lord starts with surrendering those issues where people have betrayed you you've got to let it go the first step to, to being freed from the curse is to repent of the unforgiveness I want you in your mind to look them in the eye and say I, I let it go I want you all to say that aloud now say I let it go Some of you are not saying it. I want to challenge you. You're saying this is too much. No, it's not too much. It's poisoning you. It's destroying you. I want you now in your mind to look at them in the eye and say, I let it go. Now I want to hear you say, I let it go. I want to hear you even louder. Say it with conviction. I let it go.
Now I want you to see Jesus coming and I want you to see him healing your heart. Just feel and sense the Holy Spirit is ministering to you right now. He's mending your heart. You're sensing it's like chains are just being ripped off your heart. It's like the shackles are being taken off. And Jesus is now dabbing a piece of cotton wool in the ointment of his love. And he's dabbing that on your wounded heart. And I want you to see that as he's dabbing that, your heart is being healed. A miracle is taking place. The power of that curse is broken by the blood of Jesus. It's a miracle that's taking place. How do you conquer that miracle? You believe the promise. Isaiah 6, in all the affliction, he was afflicted. Jesus was afflicted for that affliction of that betrayal. So believe the promise. He's healing you. He's ministering to you. That thing is no longer going to be carried with you. That thing is being destroyed. It's being taken off your back right now. And then the visualization. This is why I'm telling you to see a picture. Because you've got to see it. In 1 Corinthians it says, just as it is written, things the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the power of the Spirit for the Spirit searches all things even the depths of God you've got to see it you've got to see it God speaks to you with pictures in your mind He speaks to you with visions He speaks to you with dreams and then you've got to confess it say I am free I want everyone to say it. Say, I am free in Jesus' name. I want you to say it with conviction. Say, I am free in Jesus' name. And then you've got to persevere. Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. You persevere until you get your miracle. I will be free. This hurt will no longer be there. I'm surrendering my rights to justice to the Lord. Now I want you to say, Lord, thank you. All of you say, Lord, thank you. Say, Lord, thank you that I am free. Lord, I'm just praying right now. For those who are struggling. Lord, you see the hearts of those right now who are struggling. And I pray, Lord, with all my heart that you would just touch him supernaturally in Jesus' name. That your hand would be on them. That your blessing would be over them. Lord, just minister to him right now in Jesus' name.
I want you to keep your eyes closed. Romans 5, 20 and 21 says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Believing this separates those who are destined for heaven with those who are not. And so it doesn't help if you're healed from the curse of betrayal if you haven't given your heart to Jesus. And right now, I just want you to, to really picture yourself standing before God. And just picture that your eternal destiny is at stake. And if you were to die today, as you know, some people are going to die today. In this very city, right there where you're watching, some people are going to die today. And if that were to be your turn, would you be ready to face God? You, you can be ready by believing in Jesus. You may be struggling saying, no, I'll wait until later. I'll pray when I get home. The Lord is saying, no, I want you to come to the altar now. Because the altar sanctifies everything. The, the altar makes everything clean. He's saying, don't wait until later and think that you're going to have a more effective time. Because now is the time that the Lord has spoken to you. Now is the time that He's been ministering to your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, God Himself has been speaking to you. And when you make the commitment now, what you're saying to God is you're saying, Lord, this is the time for me. I want to surrender completely to you now. I don't want to wait until later because if I wait until later, I don't know if I'll make it. I want to commit to you right now. I don't want to live life far from you anymore. Lord, it's just not worth it, worth it to live away from you. What you're saying is I want to live close to you from this day on. I want to be so close to you, Lord, so that when my time comes and death comes knocking, I'll be ready for you, Lord. I'll be ready because I'll know that I'll be with you for eternity. And so as you're sitting here, if that is you, I want you to raise your hand if you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to recommit your life to Jesus here today. Maybe even just because of the... the the anxiety, the anger, the resentment, whatever, you know, through betrayal or whatever, and you're realizing, I need to commit to Jesus today. I need to give everything today and recommit my life. Or maybe you've never given your life and the gospel's never made sense to you before. And the Lord is saying to you right now, I want you to give your life. So if you either need to commit for the first time or recommit your life to Jesus, then right where you are, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And those who raise hands, we're going to pray with you. I see hands that have gone up. Just raise your hand up high. Hands have gone up. number of hands have gone up. There's hands in the front. There's hands in the back there. Right at the back, there's hands. If you're at the sides, just raise your hand. The leaders, please just look out for them and please give them the slip of paper. If you're watching online or if you're listening online, then please just send an, an email right now to info at activechurch.org and say, I've given my life to Jesus for the first time or recommit, I've recommitted my life to Jesus. And please send us your contact details. 
we'd love to contact you and, and, and help you on this journey. So I'm going to ask one last time, is anyone else? You're needing to give your life to Jesus for the first time or you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Just raise your hand right now if there's anyone else. Just raise it right now. Amen. We're going to pray together now. I'm going to lead you in prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to repeat after me. But I first want you all, to, everyone, to put your right hand on, on your heart. And as you put your right hand on your heart, I want you to visualize Jesus dying on the cross for you. And I want you to understand that the same Jesus who died 2,000 years ago, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His work stands. That sacrifice stands. The blood that He shed was the price that He paid, and it's the blood that will wash your sins away. Amen. You see it, Active Church? Now repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I recognize that I'm a sinner. I repent of everything that I've done wrong. I renounce my life of sin. And I accept your sacrifice. And I know that it was the price you paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, I ask that the blood of your wounded body wash me of all my rebellion, all my sin, that you set me free from any sickness and any pain. And I accept that my debt has been paid. There is no outstanding balance. You paid everything for me at the cross of Calvary. I accept that by your blood I'm justified. And you see me as I've never sinned. And that by your blood I'm sanctified. And I've been chosen to serve you. And Lord, I want to surrender and serve you. And so today I open the door of my heart. And I invite you to come in as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You turn seas into highways You're the only 